Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. Before we hop into the podcast, you've heard us talking about it for a while. The AC Conference is back. We're titling it Branded Rethinking Identity. And this time, if you are keen and you have air miles that you'd like to spend, you can take it in in two different locations. The first one will be in Saskatchewan on February 10th to the 11th at Briarcrest College and Seminary. And the second one will be held at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, BC on March 3rd to the 4th. You can head to conference.apologeticscanada.com for more information on the speakers and the addresses for those locations. And the second thing we want to let you know of is we are right in the midst of our giving campaign that is going on until the end of the year. And we are excited to announce that we are at 71% of our goal. And to remind you, it is a matching goal. So we have the opportunity of raising $200,000. We have someone who generously was willing to match whatever is made. So thank you for those of you who have already donated. And we just continue to prayerfully ask that you would consider partnering with Apologetics Canada. You did it. You made it through the announcements. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know how my... <laughs> Troy struggled today with the announcements. Uh, oh my gosh. But we are, we are so thankful uh, for this matching gift and the opportunity for people to partner with us. So thank you again for those of you helping us. We're almost there. Uh, we have till December 31st to reach uh, our goal. So yeah, thank you for prayerfully considering partnering with us as we continue in ministry. Yep. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's been a busy year. It has been a very, very busy year for AC, and we're so grateful for for each and every one of you who have come to different events, interacted with the podcast, and and different things like that. So, um, you know what, working at AC kind of feels like buying something on Amazon. You know, you just you're never sure what's going to show up at the door. You know what I mean? <laughs> with so true. with AC, it's like every day, just I wonder what's going to show up today, and there's right. always something always something it's it's truly uh amazing yeah, the gift of ac it just keeps the, giving the gift of ac <laughs> <laughs> well we're uh we're gonna get right into today's episode but it's actually the start of a series that we're gonna be doing called miracles signs and wonders so this is a three-part series if you're hearing this episode for the first time this is episode one where we're talking about the miracles of his love and this one really excites me, like, because miracles are something that I think everyone has wanted to hear about as far as in testimony, but it's a hard one to talk about sometimes because naturally people come with skepticism. Yeah. And I think for good reason, we're, I think naturally people are skeptical, but our society is particularly skeptical. And I think it kind of just adds to an overall skepticism. Mm -hmm. When we come to Christmas and then particularly Christmas, because then we've got our own cultural issues that go on with it, where we're juxtaposing Jesus and Santa, you know, and a <laughs> virgin birth and flying reindeer. You know, in a sense, there is this kind of weird comparison going on, right? And I grew up uh, in the church and I never really found Santa Claus to be all that believable because, like, the way. Uh, Andy once described it as so you have this, you know, big fat old white guy in a red velvet suit 
you know, coming down the chimney, committing like trying home to break invasion, into your house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I'm just like, yeah, you know, that doesn't sound all that that credible. Uh, and so I never really believed in Santa Claus. And and my kids, you know, you know, at the tender age of nine and seven now, they don't really believe in Santa Claus either. And they take some twisted joy in kind of smashing everyone else's childhood that way for their friends at church or whatever. Those sound like your children, Steve. <laughs> yeah. and uh, But, you know, on the other hand, right, I go to church and I am told to believe that a man was born without a father. So what gives, right? And so this was something that, uh, something of a tension that I kind of grew up with. I don't know if you guys can resonate with that, but. It, it is funny when you frame it that way, isn't it? M- Melissa was, there's, some someone online that she follows that uh, does homeschooling material, and she was making a video where basically, basically, she was saying uh, her dad, so her children's grandfather, was talking to his granddaughter and was like, "Honey, your parents are making a fool out of you, convincing you that a a man, a strange man, is coming into your house. Like, if you think it's your daddy would let a strange man come into your house and not have his gun out, then you you got something different." Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> In the middle of the night, right? Better not be. But, you know, uh, we talk about skepticism, especially in our culture, right? Especially in this kind of post-enlightenment. I mean, we like to throw that word around, whatever that means, right? We tend to be skeptical of anything that's beyond this world. Um, But we tend to have this view of the sort of the ancients as this really super gullible people. But actually, if you read the story of the virgin birth, it's filled with skepticism. I mean, that, that's their first worry is how am I going to convince people that this angel came to me, right? And, and in fact, Joseph is so worried about this that he decides to quietly divorce Mary. I mean, listen, people knew where babies came from, right? And so even, even here, there is like skepticism there. And it's so it's not just the skepticism against the supernatural isn't just you know, sort of our thing in our post-enlightenment culture. Yeah, and so that skepticism in our culture, when we start to throw around ideas like virgin births or uh, water being turned into wine or people walking on water, the society is already kind of, you know, thinking, well, that obviously doesn't happen. So there's obviously a level of fabrication to these things. Mm. I think it's an important point just to appreciate with regards to where we're at in, in, in kind of this cultural moment and different flavors of Christianity that you'll experience, particularly with regards to miracles and how people are, are trying to understand the Bible from a 21st century perspective or different ways that miracles encourage people to like reinterpret the Bible, if you will. I have this quote by Rudolf Boltman. He says, the idea of a miracle as a divine intervention has become impossible for us today. It's de- mythologizing of the Bible, because we understand all that happens in nature as laws governed. Thus, uh, we understand a miracle as a violation of the law governed connection between all that happens in nature. And this uh, idea we cannot entertain today anymore. And you get this liberal form of of Christianity that that has uh, developed out of out of this tradition where you have a Christianity that you really don't recognize any longer because you've taken out all of all of the supernatural from it where more or less it just becomes 
you know, moral teaching, for example. I think when we get into the topic of miracles, this is something that we have to address as we're getting into particularly the miracle of Christmas. And, and that is, what do we mean by miracle? Because I find that what has been defined through people like Hume in particular, and they get picked up on uh, both philosophers and theologians, as, as I've read here, is this idea of divine intervention that is superseding the, the laws of nature. And so it's this idea that there are these laws that are governing nature, and uh, a miracle is something that is superseding that. And because nature's laws cannot be superseded, you know, we have to either try to understand these miracles through that framework in the Bible or just get rid of them entirely. Well, for the sake of jumping in and giving a definition before Steve does, <laughs> a miracle is defined as a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. And it's really interesting that that last portion is added, especially when you think about the secular worldview and people who don't don't believe in a divine agency, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in a deity. And so it almost challenges this idea that if you don't believe in a God or a creator or intelligent design, that can you truly ever believe that a miracle is possible? That reminds me just in what reading that I've done on this topic, when you read some philosophical stuff, one of the things that they talk about is the religious context of the miracle. So let's say, you know, in the Sahara Desert, there is this grain of sand that kind of moved an inch that way, you know, for no physical reason whatsoever. I mean, that's cool, but you wouldn't necessarily still call it a miracle like we would uh, typically use that term for, right? And so what makes a miracle really miraculous is the religious context that this comes in. This is one of my uh, challenges is that a miracle is so difficult to define. Yeah, well, let me give you my definition and then you can poke holes in it. Um, but <laughs> typically- With pleasure. Typically, preparing. when when I'm asked what a miracle is, is I simply say that it's an extraordinary act of God. So like extraordinary, literally meaning what the components define themselves as. Extra is Latin um, and orzo, like extra meaning more, like supernatural and um, orzo meaning arrangement. So etymologically, that etymologically just means the breakdown of the components of words. It literally means outside the normal course of events. So as a Christian, I believe that God sustains the universe by his power. So we could describe it by saying that, you know, things like the law, uh, laws of nature is the way that God normally is upholding the world. And he does that in an incredibly consistent and natural way. And that's what we discover when we talk about things like scientific inquiry in the natural sciences. But sometimes, sometimes God operates outside of that. Steve, when you're talking about people raising objections to uh, resurrections, Jesus rising from the dead, they're like, well, we obviously know that people don't rise from the dead. So Jesus couldn't have and sometimes I, I wonder, like, yeah, that's, that's why we call it a miracle. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> I, I do think that that's helpful, Wes. The thing that I particularly first just want to poke holes in is this idea, this kind of definition of miracles that's been bequeathed to us from Hume, that it's this act that is violating nature's laws is particularly problematic. W what does it mean to violate nature's laws? If an apple falls from a tree, what will nature dictate? 
well, the, it's going to fall to the ground, right? The gravity is one of nature's laws, and it will act on that apple, if you will, if you want to talk about it in that way, and it will fall to the ground. But you can have a person such as Steve Kim standing there, and he reaches out his hand and he catches that apple. Now has Steve, you know, defied nature's laws? Has he, you know, overturned gravity? Well, of course he has and hasn't, right? Because he, he has intervened. And now he's intervened on, on gravity. But within the bounds of nature's laws. Yeah, it's within the bounds of nature's laws. But could that be a miracle? It kind of depends, doesn't it? It would depend upon the context. I think to that, Andy, it's, it's an issue of probability, right? Like it's not crazy for Steve to reach out and catch that apple. Like the, probabilistically, you could estimate that that event could happen. But if Steve appears from nowhere and someone <laughs> has prophesied that a bald Asian man will appear from nowhere and catch the apple, well, that's, that's on the like probability theory. That's a lot lower. So maybe we would count that as a miracle. What I'm trying to get at is that a miracle is a lot more difficult to nail down than you would think of what actually qualifies for a miracle and whether or not it's something that is necessary for God or that an agent in general could perform uh, a miracle, right? I mean, you have prophets in the, in the Bible that are performing the miraculous, whether it be foretelling or demonstration of, of something that, you know, is miraculous. Uh, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like the, the, the definition starts to become very slippery to grab hold of, of what actually would say constitute a miracle. You know, just kind of hearing what you're saying, Andy, uh, one of the challenges that this is, this is a challenge that philosophers always go through, right? Because you have something that you talk about, and then there are always like these cases that are not as clear. Um, and part of the problem here, I think, is the way we use the word miracles is sometimes different. Like sometimes we talk about like, you know, a bald Asian man just poof coming out of nowhere and catching an apple as was prophesied. But then there were there are other cases too where we colloquially use that word to mean something when something happens to you in a favorable way and you call it a miracle. So for example, you know, you're at a really packed parking lot at Walmart around Christmas time and you happen to find a parking spot that's available to you just off to the side. So you can just conveniently go in there. People will call it, hey, you know, this is the Lord's favor. You know, this is miraculous kind of thing. And of course, when the second one, you look at it and go, was that really a miracle though? Sometimes I, I need to kind of talk to myself and go, yeah, let's, let's start with something like a little bit clearer. Well, and I wonder, this is a relatively modern conversation. Like Andy, you were mentioning David Hume, who's a, he was an enlightenment um, Scottish philosopher who critiqued the idea of miracles. But in the ancient world, they weren't really worried about that. The supernatural was almost assumed. And yet they still refer to miracles. In fact, the, the objection to Jesus was not that he did miracles. They, they assumed he did miracles and that they were probably real. The, the second century writer Celsus even says, of course, Jesus did miracles. But that's because he grew up in Egypt. And we all know those Egyptians, well, they're crafty and they do magic <laughs> all the time. So he just learned it as a child. I would be interested to know you guys' thoughts if 
because um, I think this is sort of what you're getting into a little bit, Wes, is if demographic plays anything in the way people perceive a miracle, because, you know, if you, you go you go overseas, you go to Africa and these other countries, and, you know, you go to some of these large ministry meetings and gatherings, and through testimony, like, there's miracles happening every single time. You could argue that a person's level of desperation for a move of God, for a miracle of God, it could play something into that because then you come into the Western world where something that we might, that one person might call a miracle, another person might say is hard work and and timing. You know, and I think sometimes because we are so self-sufficient in the West, you don't need a miracle because you're able to honestly pay for everything that you desire. Uh, I, I think this is part of the the general challenge of miracles is that it's a it's a balancing act that that happens between being able to appreciate you know the laws of nature if you will and um things like steve's getting at with being able to appreciate just luck in general like you know and being able to then see the the hand of god in your life in the things that are going on around you and that you're kind of seeing Seen both, and that becomes a balancing act because we've all been with those people, as was mentioned with regards to the parking lot, right? That find an empty space and are like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus!" Right? Like, God's looking out for me today, you know. But like, you know, we've all we've all kind of seen that where you know you're kind of scratching your head, going, "I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that Jesus is that concerned about you finding a parking spot." But but maybe, right? There is that there is that balancing act that needs to happen. Let me just give you my definition of of miracles the best that I can do as I've been thinking on this for for some time is that I think basically a miracle is just an act of divine agency that accomplishes God's purposes. Yeah. And I I kind of like to use that because it just lays it as open as can be but you you've kind of got to navigate in that of what what's that going to look like and it seems as well that there's, you know, different types of miracles as well. There's the kind of miracles that we're seeing in the Bible that are achieving God's purposes. And then there's the kind of miracles in our lives that are achieving God's purposes. And you need to see those as distinct of what God's doing in the Bible versus what God's doing in my life in the midst of that revelation. Well, I would say I, I definitely I, I agree with that definition. And I think I, one thing, if I were to offer a, like somewhat of a push in any direction, it was something that was said earlier when, you know, you have the lady who pulls into a parking spot and, or, you know, and they're thanking the Lord for his provision. I, by your definition of like accomplishing God's purposes in that moment, that person is feeling as though the Lord allowed them this moment so they could understand the Lord's favor or relevance in their lives and saying that, man, the Lord cares about the little things. And I believe that in those moments, God's purposes are being accomplished because I do get what you're saying. But for me, it's a little bit of both. Well, but here's here's some pushback on that, right? Like where we got to think about it, because it could very well be the fact that there being no parking spot would be achieving God's purposes. And in fact, that's the miracle, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I mean, it all be, then be, can, depends upon the context, not to go too deep down this rabbit hole. But if this person's heading to church and they are looking for every excuse not to go to church, but God foreordains the world in such a way that he opens up a parking space, right? And and this is what leads this person to church. It very well could be that that is a miracle, right? right. Or 
this person is struggling with an addiction, maybe it's alcohol or whatever, and they're driving by a, a you know, a liquor store, and there is no like parking free parking stuff. You know I, what I mean? Like this is where it's it's just a slippery thing to go. Oh, this is a yeah. miracle. This isn't like it's there aren't easy definitions to it. Is what I'm trying yeah. to get at. But I don't want to yeah. go too deep down that. So we got to come back to this, what's <laughs> happening with Christmas and the purposes here with that miracle. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the two words that we translate as miracle in, in the New Testament in particular, dunamis, which means power, and simeon, which means signs, I think you could almost, um, without probably making too much of too little, like when we see God's power enacted, that's a, a big miracle that points to something that has a greater purpose in God's plan. And I think when we think of like the big miracles of, um, you know, the, in my own personal life, I believe that I experienced a miracle. I believe that um, I was miraculously healed at a certain point in my life. And I think that, that that is, if I was to categorize it, that would be that like dunamis, that would be that power of God enacted in the life of the believer. Now, it would seem then that this being the case, as we're, as we're talking about miracles, that one of our underlying assumptions about miracles in, you know, the caveat to a miracle is this idea of divine agency, that you have agents, you know, in general, because I, I mean, first of all, uh, we could make the argument that we are miracles in of ourselves, right? That I have the miracle of choice and that I can intervene on the world and, and uh, act like we talked about earlier, to even suspend an apple that's being acted upon by gravity and, and asking the question, well, what, you know, caused me to do that? And, uh, or, or Steve, and, and the, the, the answer would be, well, he chose to, which doesn't fit well within our 21st century uh, deterministic, you know, physicalistic, mechanicalistic, you know, worldview. You yeah. know, how are we going to deal with that? Because what you find is depending upon what worldview you embrace, you actually, and you, I see this with philosophers all the time that I read, that they just dismiss agency entirely, that we don't actually exist, that we are just the products of those same laws governing the universe are governing us. And we think that we are free and we think we act, but in fact, we're not. One that we're looking at, though, is is there a a bigger agency than ourselves, one that actually is in control of everything, the cosmos, that created the cosmos and can actually intervene in the cosmos. And that then becomes an underlying assumptions to our view of miracles, that if a miracle is to exist, you need the kind of agency that's capable of that level of intervention. Well, and I think even the skeptics who, like the hyper-skeptics who want to, to cancel out the, any idea of miracles and supernatural uh, workings in our world, I often think, you know, they've already granted at least what we would agree is the f- the first and biggest miracle, uh, creation out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, if God made everything out of nothing, well, even if they're kind of a natural materialist and the Big Bang just kind of happened for some reason or another that we can't fathom, well, that's still, you know, miraculous. Nothing and then everything. And so in some ways, if we can agree on that miracle, sometimes I think, well, everything else, it's just kind of small pennies at that mm-hmm. point. You know, Jesus turning water into wine. Well, if he created everything out of nothing, then turning water out of wine isn't that big of a deal. Right. And to kind of 
piggyback off of what you're saying, Wes, uh, if I may register a complaint against my naturalist friends, is that often when we experience what we think are miracles, right? Like we're like, oh, you know, this this must be God, or this must be an angel acting on behalf of God, or whatever it might be. Um, the pushback that I've often seen is my naturalist friends saying, well, I, you know, it could have happened naturally. So, for example, Craig Keener, who is a very thorough scholar and who rarely writes anything smaller than the size of a shoebox, uh, he, he wrote this two-volume work on miracles. And in his second volume especially, he records all these miracle reports, both, you know, throughout all kinds of places. And one of the things that he records is like this guy who just spontaneously received his sight. Right, he was blind, but spontaneously. So my naturalist friends are then going to say, "Oh, you know, that could have happened through some processes that we don't know about." So I do find this double standard, right? So when I say it's the act of God, they say it's God of the gaps. You're just plugging God into something that we don't know. But when they plug naturalism in the gaps, that's perfectly legitimate. So what that tells me is that it's more about the presuppositions that their their starting point is no God. My starting point is, yeah, there. this is a world where God exists. But I think if you and I started talking about the experiences of miracles that we've experienced in our personal lives, then I think at least it would, it should make our naturalist friends a little uncomfortable because this just doesn't fit with the physical mechanistic view of the universe that they hold to. You'd think so. Um but I think I think we sometimes we underestimate how wedded naturalists are to their naturalistic framework. Because um, I have been in situations where I have uh, talked about my own testimony and going from, um, for the listeners who don't know, I was a paraplegic. I experienced uh, what I truly believe is a miraculous healing to the point where the the inflammation on my spinal cord, when they reassessed me after the date of my healing, um, there was no evidence of the, of the swelling. And I've, I've had lots of people say, well, well, they just, they, they couldn't explain it. So that doesn't mean it's a miracle. It just means that at that point in time, they didn't have an explanation. A lot of people want things to be a certain way, hmm. even if arguably all of the evidence is pointing in the direction. But if the, if the evidence points in the direction of a conclusion that concludes a supernatural, yeah, maybe it might, make them uncomfortable. Uh, but it's also easy to come up with an excuse to just simply brush it off. Well, and that's one of the things that is tricky about all of this is you can brush it off. You, you can brush off every miracle. Yeah. You can explain away every miracle. I, I, I once said to a friend of mine that I can't imagine a way that God could reveal himself to you that you can't explain away. And, and I still mean that. I just, I don't know anything. I mean, the fact that you can have people living on this beautiful planet and a universe spinning around a giant ball of fire and they don't think this is amazing. I mean, what, what, what else do you do from there? Where, where do you go from there? I wonder if that's a big component of it, Andy, is it, it's, it's like it almost comes back to your view of self. Like if you don't see yourself first as as being a miracle, then how on earth are you going to believe anything outside of yourself could be miraculous? Think about the fact that you go to sleep at night, you say goodnight to your family, you say goodbye to a person, and by natural assumption of a system that we know a little bit about, 
you're assuming that you're going to just wake up tomorrow when there's people, there's, there's thousands of people that, that did the same thing that were healthy and they did not wake up by this assumption that we're going to wake up the next day. If you don't see yourself as a miracle, then of course, like the idea of a virgin birth, the idea of water into wine, all those, all of these miracles that we see at the hands of Jesus are just going to, there's no way. And I think that's really sad. Now, I, w- I want to get into this a little bit deeper, though, when we're looking at Jesus, because we're not just dealing with a virgin birth, right? We're not just dealing with this uh, child that, you know, is prophesied and all these prophecies coming about and all these miraculous signs, you know, like we're not just dealing with miracles here, but there's divine agency for a purpose. And this leads, and, and I, and I want to bring this up because I think we often get lost in the miracles, asking that question, well, what is an actually a grade A level, like A plus miracle? And Jesus indicates in the Gospels that the greatest miracle, like, and, and the Jews would, uh, like, agreed, you know, the greatest miracle would be restoring your relationship with God. A, a, a A-plus miracle would be defeating evil, right? Would be defeating death. Now, yeah. that's an amazing miracle that yeah. you could be reconciled back to God. And, it, and Jesus has this moment in Mark 2, right, where he's brought a paraplegic, right? He's brought a paralyzed man. Well, I don't know if he's paraplegic. I know he's paralyzed, right? He's brought, brought this paralyzed man. And for many people, that's an amazing miracle. And don't get me wrong, Wes, your miracle is, it, it was amazing. And maybe we'd put it on the A level, but would we put it at the A plus level, right? <laughs> well, because Jesus looks at this guy and says, you know, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's amazing because the Jews were fine with healing the paralyzed, but to say your sins are forgiven, now you've now you done gone too far, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Is it easier to say I'm forgiven or you're forgiven or stand up and walk? Like that's... That is so cold. <laughs> like that is well, such. Well, this is the problem. Like, Jesus oh, is getting at the heart of miracles. The problem of miracles is how do you know you actually did a miracle, right? And and the yeah. great the A plus miracle is that you could reconcile this person back to God. But the problem is you don't know that he did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to say it, much more difficult to demonstrate it. So Jesus says to this guy, "Well, to show you that I can do it, get up and walk." And people lose their minds when they're watching this. Well, I can, I can also only imagine the, the Pharisees when Jesus is on the cross and forgives that man right then and there. And so you have a, you know, you have a person sitting right beside you who is actually, uh, actually a criminal, is supposed to be up there. And you think about all the time where Jesus is rocking the Pharisees' world, and then he does it one more time on the cross— Oh, just to show you once again, this is about the heart posture and not works. I'm going to forgive this guy while he is in the act of receiving the consequences of his sin nature. That's a miracle. <laughs> right. Just to add to what you guys are saying, because you guys are all raising really good points. There are miracles that are just kind of instantaneous, if you will, right? Like, like when Jesus healed the paralytic, like that's an instant physical miracle right there, bam. But then there are miracles that kind of happen gradually but then you look back and go my goodness where did that turn around so let me give you an example i i was when i was a lot more active on facebook because i am not anymore 
when I was a lot more active on Facebook, there was this one lady, I'm not going to mention her name, but you know, she's, she was a lesbian and, you know, she lived a certain lifestyle and you know how Facebook sometimes gives you like these memories, stuff that you posted years ago and on around the same day of the year, they show it again. Uh, often I cringe at it, uh, <laughs> but now yeah. this uh, lady posted something that reposted something that she had posted like five years ago. And that post said, a Christian came up to me and told me to repent of my lifestyle. I mean, WTF, if that was her response. And as she's reposting that five years later, she's saying, that was me five years ago. If I can be changed, anybody can be changed. Keep pressing on church. And she was encouraging the church to you know, do the work that God has given us to do, the ministry of reconciliation. I'm like, my goodness, that transformation. I'm sure there was a turning wow. point somewhere, but then the work of, right, what we call, with a fancy theological language, what we call sanctification, just to see that. Wow. Well, I, I think this speaks to what um, I think you were saying before, Andy, is that, uh, and this is something to keep in mind for us, whose job description is Christian apologist, is that the miracle is the work of the Spirit in someone's heart, and that we're never going to truly argue someone into the kingdom of God. Now, that's not an excuse not to do apologetics, because obviously we are uh, commended and commanded to do apologetics, to give those answers for the hope that we have. But the Spirit of God is the one that's working in people's lives. And the true miracle is removing their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh and allowing them not just to see the evidence to bring them to a point where, you know, maybe they don't have any more excuses not to believe, but they're just not going to believe anyways. But that softening of their heart and their mind and being drawn by the spirit, not just to see Christianity as something that's true, but to see something, see Christianity as something that's good and noteworthy and attractive <coughs> and what brings them into right relationship with their creator. So notice yeah. this idea then of a miracle is this, you know, act of divine agency that's accomplishing God's purposes. And ultimately God's purposes is restoration, is is reconciliation, is is relationship. And and I that that's what I'm getting at, Steve and, and Wes that I appreciate about, you know, and especially that story. Like that that is and in a plus miracle. And it, it's, it's one of those reminders to us that when we're celebrating Christmas, that we are celebrating not just a, a miraculous birth, you know, we are celebrating the Prince of Peace that has come to achieve yeah. God's purposes and did and is still doing in the lives of people. And it was, it was really interesting because I, uh, I was at uh, a thing that we were doing called Question Christianity. And and we were having at our table, we were having this discussion about miracles, but at our table, we had been discussing also different challenges in people's lives and issues that parents were having with kids and destructive lifestyles and addictions that people were heading into. And, and as we were just talking and the conversation was steering, I was like, you know, I, I know it, we, we tend to think about miracles more in this, you know, idea of, you know, the lame walking or the blind seeing, but those are all amazing, but they, they demonstrate, you know, that God can do something even more miraculous. And that is that God can heal a broken heart. Yeah. And it, it was really interesting because we had, um, one of the people that we're mentoring right now, her name's Melanie. She was at the table with me. And I just said, Hey, Melanie, would you be willing to share your story? And she did. 
And it was a story, just like you were talking about, Steve, the story of the Prince of Peace at work that restored Melanie from addiction. And and we we will have her in the new year. We'll have her on the podcast sharing her story. But my point being, it was just it was just this beautiful moment for these people at the table that were just in the midst of the evil of our world, the brokenness of our world, and to see, you know, the miracle of God at work in somebody's life, you know, restoring and and bringing peace and bringing hope. And, you know, as, as you celebrate and as you prepare for Christmas this, this year, I just would encourage you that, that you think about those, those, that real miracle that God came to do and that we see not only in Jesus' birth, but we see in his death that he demonstrated that he can do it and he will do it and that you and I get to celebrate that God is doing that uh, in our lives. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to this week's podcast. Remember that this is part one of a three-part series that we're calling Miracles, Signs, and Wonders. And today we were just talking about the miracles of His love. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, so make sure to like and subscribe on all of your favorite streaming platforms and on YouTube, as we will be continuing to move the podcast onto YouTube for all of you that are in that space. But until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.